The PX3 Podcast, brought to you as always by everybody who supports us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's our Patreon. Sign up at the $3 level. This is a great time. Hey, look, we're not going to talk a lot about the Mueller report on this. We're going to give our top-line assessments, but if you want a lot more on it, in fact, two whole episodes on it, then go ahead right now and sign up for our $3 level. You get instant access, including a custom RSS feed. So you get our Friday Minnesota and our Monday Minnesota delivered right to the podcatcher of your choice. That is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Enough of talking about how we support the show. What do you say we just do the damn thing? Another edition of the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young. I will be your host yet again for this wild romp through the week that was in politics. Man, we had a wild week. Like, I don't want to do a double plug here, but uh, uh, everybody who was on that $3 club, I got to say, you got your money's worth. You got your money's worth. When, when, the, when the redacted Mueller report drops... On Thursday, and you get a Friday episode, you get a Monday episode, it was good to be the $3 club. But we're going to do our best to, uh, you know, suss through it a little bit. I'll give you guys my my, my top line thoughts about Mueller. But first, let's talk about the one thing that is most important, and that is how many things I got right in my satirical <laughs> run through how Mueller Day would unwind. Folks, I did the Mueller Report spoiler count. What I didn't realize is I was accurately predicting exactly that was happening. Like, for real, I thought I was painting a wacky picture of how things would turn out. That was not the case. One of the reoccurring jokes I made was that CNN would trop, uh, trot out Carl Bernstein and he would continually say that whatever was in the Mueller report was worse than Watergate. Well, I was wrong. They trotted out John Dean to say that everything in the Mueller report was worse than Watergate. <laughs> Which is kind of weird because Watergate involved an actual break in an actual firing and tape <laughs> which the Mueller report had none of also I said that there was going to be a 400 tweet thread that would be longer than the Mueller report itself written by at Pope hat well I was wrong there it was Seth Abramson who did the 400 tweet thread I can neither confirm nor deny that Bill Barr did indeed let out a long sustained fart. But I'm going to go ahead and chalk that one up for a win as well. He does not seem like somebody who eats healthy. 
So, what do I think about the Mueller report? The way I've put it to folks who have asked me about it is that imagine that the president were under investigation because of a stomachache. And it had taken two years to find out what that stomachache really was. And there was a possibility, a non-zero chance, that that stomachache could have indeed been stomach cancer leading to a terminal diagnosis for the patient. And so everybody just kind of scurried around half assuming that there was a possibility that this could be a cancerous diagnosis. The enemies rejoiced. The supporters cast doubt. But yet all anybody talked about was it could be cancer. It could be cancer. It could be cancer. This person, this diagnosis could lead to death. Weeks, maybe months, maybe days after the diagnosis is laid down, death could befall the patient because indeed Rachel Maddow pointed out very, very, very plainly that this is almost certainly cancer. Adam Schiff has been on television saying that it is clear based on what we have available to us right now that it's cancer. Well, the Mueller report came out. And we found out that the president ate so many candy bars, he shit himself. That was the stomachache. A totally self-inflicted wound that is very embarrassing when laid out in plain fact. And yes, you would prefer to live in a world where the commander-in-chief did not eat so many candy bars, he shit himself. But it ain't cancer. (laughs) So that's what the Mueller report is to me. The Mueller report is to me that it's embarrassing for the president. It's not a good look for the president. It doesn't exactly typify presidential behavior. But contrary to what John Dean says, there's no tape. There's no bodies. And there's no money. There's no trail of money that shows that Donald Trump tried to cover something up or that he exchanged money with the Russians. Nobody was actually fired, despite the fact that he wanted people to be fired. And there's no tape of him saying that he wanted people to be fired because that would also change things. I have no reason to believe that Don McGahn is telling the truth, but at the end of the day, it seems like Donald Trump disputes what Don McGahn thinks. So you have a he said, he said situation. At the end of the day, that's what this is. I have one more tortured metaphor for you, and that is on obstruction of justice. As I was reading through the Mueller report, the one thing I couldn't get out of my head was Baby's Day Out. If you're unfamiliar with the movie Baby's Day Out, It's about a baby who goes crawling through New York City, getting himself into impossibly dangerous dangerous situations, only for, in comedically hilarious fashion, for him to be delivered from said danger. Climbs into a monkey cage, could get crushed by the monkey, the monkey falls in love with him and lets him out. 
crawls through a construction site. Things are falling all around him, crawling on the, 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 the beams, crawling off the beams, seemingly falling to his death, only to be gracefully landed on another beam that was moving right below him. There appears to be many credible moments when Donald Trump is moving himself into almost certain obstruction of justice territory. And for whatever reason, the people around him continue to keep him in check, including Don McGahn, according, uh, as well as Corey Lewandowski. I mean, that's a shocker. That's literally more of a mind blower than anything in Baby's Day Out. That Corey Lewandowski was the, the, the calmer, saner, more rational person in a situation that might have saved Donald Trump's presidency. Including Jeff Sessions. They all protected him from himself. Or else there would have at least been one. There would have been a body. There would have been money. There would have been tape. We get none of that. And so, like Nancy Pelosi seems to be doing, we move on. Politics! As you all know, we are primarily a 2020 podcast. We like the politics, the elections, far more than we like the governing. And so, we've got a new shooter coming out. And probably the last biggest announcement of a presidential run. And it is indeed... Big Joe Biden. Allegedly, his campaign will start tomorrow. We were recording this on Wednesday, April 24th. He will announce via video on April 25th. He will then head on over to a union rally in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to give his first speech as somebody officially in the game. According to an Axios scoop, he will give a determined air in his announcement which is a fundamentally fucking useless way to describe a presidential announcement. Like, I mean, come on. What else is he going to be? He's going to be determined. He will give off a determined air. As opposed to what? Lazily doing a jerk-off motion and snapping his gum? What else would we expect? I guess I'm running for president. Whatever. I'm Joe Biden. He makes an armpit fart. Of course he's going to be determined. He's running for fucking president. Anyway, all right. That's me just haranguing Axios. Axios did point out something that I did find very, very interesting, and that is that Joe Biden expects that his campaign will be attacked early and often about Biden's family. Biden's family will be something that is attacked, which got me thinking. We've talked a lot about Joe Biden. We've talked about Joe Biden's flameouts in his previous runs for president. But if he believes that his family is his biggest weakness, then we owe it to you, the listenership, to discuss it. Because here on the PX3 show, we understand that family matters. Joe Biden was married. To Nelia Hunter in 1966. Together they had two sons, Hunter and Bo, and a daughter, Naomi. 
course, famously, tragedy struck the Biden family in December 1972 when Joe Biden was then senator-elect of the state of Delaware. In a horrifying auto accident, Nelia and Naomi were killed. It also thought to, at the time, might have fatally injured his two sons, Hunter and Bo. They miraculously recovered from their injuries. This is something that was a part of the Joe Biden lore. It was something that proved that he was a fighter. He, you know, crafted it as part of his story that this is something that he wanted to throw himself into. The politics was almost a saving grace as he found himself hitting rock bottom during a family tragedy that nobody would ever look at with anything other than unending pity. Joe remarried. Jill Biden, in 1977, together they had a daughter, Ashley. Again, up till this point, Joe Biden's family life had been something in a study of courage. Here is a man who lost everything and in his darkest hour decided to turn to public service. You know, you couple this with the fact that Biden is very obviously an able politician, somebody that knew the Senate more than many people, but always had presidential aspirations. After failing to run in 20 or 2008, it was the assumption that Joe Biden would, after Obama's reelection in 2012, would run in 2016. However, Tragedy befell the Biden family again in May of 2015. Bo, one of the sons that survived that fatal car crash that killed Biden's first wife, succumbed to brain cancer. He'd been a military man. And there are conflicting reports on whether or not Bo was encouraging of Joe to run for president. And whether or not Joe was of a stable enough mind to make a run. Now, it is my opinion that had the Democratic landscape had been more favorable to the sitting vice president running as the legacy of his administration and not tilted so heavily toward Hillary making a run, that he probably would have tossed his hat in the ring in 2016. So what you might be asking yourself right now is why does Joe Biden believe his family is a source of weakness for him? Why does he believe that this is going to be something that will be brought up in a negative light on the campaign trail? There's literally nothing that we have said that doesn't prove that Joe Biden is a fighter, that his family has had nothing but tragedy befall him, and yet he marches on. Well, it's probably because of what happened after Bo died. Yeah. Biden's other son, Hunter, married with three children himself, became involved in an affair with Bo's widow, Haley. In Hunter's divorce papers, Hunter's wife claims that Hunter blew money on prostitutes, strip clubs, and drugs. That split was settled without the allegations being litigated in 2017. 
Biden has issued a statement on the record to the New York Post's page six when they broke the story saying, quote, we are all lucky that Hunter and Halley found each other as they were putting their lives back together again after such sadness. They have our full and complete support and we are happy for them. So this is not hearsay. We do know that Hunter and Hallie were divorced. A couple with three children were divorced. And we know now that Hunter is with Bo's widow as a couple. This is certainly something that we will learn more about. Because it's already out there for public record. There was a Maureen Dowd column about this. I don't know how I had totally forgotten about the fact that there's some weird re- coupling amongst in-laws in the Biden family. Will it be enough to throw Biden off track? I don't think so. But if you think that we're not going to hear a interview with one of these strippers, an interview with one of these prostitutes, an interview with one of these drug dealers? Mmm, you got another thing coming. Because as of tomorrow, as of Thursday, Joe Biden officially takes his first step into the political ring of combat wherein he is the number one gunner. Biden is the man to beat. And everything from here on out will be fair game. Up to and including Biden's scandalous full house. If you would like to get news in your inbox, free political news, you can get my newsletter, freepoliticalnewsletter.com, five stories a day, five days a week, mostly gifts, some hot takes. I want to thank everybody who has continued to make this the fastest growing independent political newsletter on the planet. But now's the time for us to continue our expansion, not only with the newsletter, but also with the PX3 podcast. Friends, I have an impassioned plea to make to you. We have seen tremendous growth on all fronts of this show. We've seen growth on the Patreon. We've seen growth in the numbers. We've seen growth on the newsletter. This is going to be a very important summer for this show. This is going to be the summer that sets us up for 2020. Folks, it's not only Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Beto O'Rourke, Amy Klobuchar, Julian Castro that are running for president next November. It is us. We are running to be one of the most talked about, listened to, and read political franchises in this entire gosh darn game. And it's up to you guys 
It really is. The reason why I started doing these interviews, and we just had one yesterday with Dave Leventhal breaking down all the financials, is because I wanted to give you guys something very important. I wanted to give you guys an element of this show that's shareable. Because unless you're really dialed into political radio, it's hard for you guys to share this episode. Now, you might say, oh, there's this cool thing about Joe Biden's family that I didn't know, or I did a breakdown on on the Nevada primary or the the every race they've ever run series that I did with Kamala or Beto. That might be a little bit shareable, but the interviews are the most shareable. I've made them topics very specifically so you guys can find people that might be interested in this show and share those. If you like the newsletter and you know somebody that would like the newsletter, forward it on to them. Suggest that they subscribe. This is the biggest thing you can do, and it is absolutely free. I'm going to get a little serious here for you guys. It is my very, very, very serious opinion that I think you deserve and the world deserves a voice that is not confirmation bias theater. That dares to ask the question, what is actually happening as opposed to confirming whether or not you believe one side is right and one side is wrong. I think that there is a gigantic untapped potential for this kind of political dialogue. And it is absolutely underserved in our modern landscape. It's up to you guys. If you feel that there are people in your life that could benefit, would enjoy from this, then I need you to go ahead and share it because it only gets out there one way. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who has done it in the past. Thank you to everybody who's doing it in the future. Super thanks to everybody that supports us at Take Politics Seriously. All right. Let's go ahead and get into the rest of our big stories. Politics! Yo, R.I.P. I want to give a big R.I.P. Rest in peace to cute Mayor Pete. Oh, look, he's so adorable. He's running for president now. Oh, look at you. You can be the president, shit. You can be the president. Anybody can be the president. You're so young. You're so cute. You're gay. Oh, so cute. Nope, not cute anymore. Now he's scary. Scary Mayor Pete. Uh, you know, because NBC News put out this story, rivals are scrambling to dig up dirt on Pete Buttigieg. Here's their story. Caught off guard by a sudden surge, Pete Buttigieg's rival are scrambling to find vulnerabilities and lines of attack that can be used against him. This according to five officials with opposing Democratic primary campaigns and Republican political groups tell NBC News. This is, of course, a different situation than Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Joe Biden. Democrats have long, who have been long on the national scene and were widely expected to run for president. Potential rivals and GOP campaign groups have spent years hunting for dirt, known in political parlance as opposition research, that could be deployed against them. Major political groups have entire books of quote-unquote oppo ready to go. As these candidates entered the race, Biden is expected to enter formally this week. But Mayor Pete is different. 
He was not really a big player until only a few weeks ago when he started polling in double digits. So, let's say you were looking to damage Mayor Pete. You know, maybe you would float a story like we literally see in Politico today. Headline, Buttigieg's bid for the DNC chair ended with a thud. Will 2020 be different? Oh, isn't that weird? On Monday, we get a story about how everybody's looking to damage Mayor Pete. And then on Wednesday, we get a story about a failure in the history of Mayor Pete. Ah, we read now from an article by Daniel Strauss. As Pete Buttigieg prepared to drop out of the race for the Democratic National Committee chair before the vote in 2017, a handful of committee members offered sympathy and encouragement, promising to support him in future campaigns. They just didn't think it would be for the White House or so soon. Buttigieg's first attempt to leap from the mayor of Indiana's fourth largest city to national politics ended with a thud in the DNC race, but that campaign episode foreshadowed his plucky rise to contention. Buttigieg presented himself as a a compromise candidate acceptable to the two warring factions of the Democratic Party. Then as now, his unique status as a 30-something millennial veteran and openly gay candidate set him apart from the crowded field. Said Jamie Harrison, one of Buttigieg's rivals in the DNC contest who's running for Senate in South Carolina, I saw Mayor Pete's ability to go viral before. To be honest, it was a little frustrating for me given that I was running against him. I had much more hard votes and support, and he was able to turn limited opportunities into so much media coverage. He impressed a lot of people that way. Well, maybe uh, maybe that wasn't uh, so much of a hit piece. After all, it was a tweetable remark in a CNN town hall on March 10th when Buttigieg called Vice President Mike Pence a cheerleader of the porn star presidency that first turbocharged his candidacy, and during the DNC chairmanship race, Buttigieg prompted another look from some DNC members after ripping Donald Trump as, quote, a draft-dodging chicken hawk president. Ah, God, I love this stuff. Now, here's another question. Has Mayor Pete officially scooped Beto O'Rourke's heat? Has he? After all, according to TheHill.com, as white men and two of the youngest candidates in the field, Buttigieg 37 and O'Rourke 46 are natural competitors. Both candidates are seeking to convince Democrats that the party needs a generational change as they chase former Vice President Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, who are in their 70s. The polls have been largely steady in recent weeks for all the 2020 contenders, except for Judge who has seen a notable rise and now ranks third in several polls behind Biden and Sanders. Buttigieg effectively caught uh, caught O'Rourke to establish himself firmly in the second tier of contenders, along with Kamala Harris. I think this is true. I think that this is is 100% true. Uh, 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 I don't know what Beto offers. Beto was there because he could raise a lot of money against Ted Cruz. But do I believe that he is somebody that people can anoint? No. I was thinking about this today. Democrats love anointing dudes. You ever notice this? Democrats, oh God, they, 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 
the, the old saying used to be that Republicans fall in line and Democrats fall in love. Now, that was not true in 2016. We had the ass opposite. We had the Democrats picking a very sensible, very qualified candidate falling in line. And we uh, we saw Republicans going batshit goo goo gaga. But I feel like we've got a lot of passion candidates in this primary. Bernie is a passion candidate. But I don't know if anybody is as anointable as Pete Buttigieg. Young, gay, you get the milestone in there. Has anybody said gay Kennedy yet? Wake me when somebody says gay Kennedy. In fact, if you see the first person you see in a headline, call Pete Buttigieg the gay Kennedy, please send it to me. Here's one of this week's Tempest in a Teapot. Bernie Sanders has made the case that felons should be able to vote from prison. The idea that uh, a felon should be able to vote is something that is gaining steam in my home state of Florida. They have recently signed legislation that once you have paid your debt to society, you should not be disenfranchised forever. You should have your ability to vote restored. I think that that is is fair. I like that. But should they be able to vote from prison? Ah, Man... You know, I, I, I kind of feel like if you are in prison, you're already giving up so many rights. Why should that one be afforded to you? You're giving up your right to freedom. You're giving up your right to eat what you want. You're giving up your right to see whoever you want, to call whoever you want, to own a firearm. There, there's so many things that are taken away from you. Uh, I feel like taking away the right to vote just seems like that's part of that package. But I don't know. I feel like I could be talked into it. Not like from your cell, though. I would say from your cell might be too far. Because I'm not able to vote from home yet. If we were all able to vote from home, then I'd say, okay, felons are allowed to vote from their cell. It should be something like, you know, you have to go to a polling place. All of a sudden, everybody gets marched in in chains. (laughs) And they're all able to vote. Maybe you would have to do it like super early in the morning. I don't know. Maybe I'm right about this. Or maybe. Wrong! 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 This is the parade of wrong opinions. We begin. Canada's a very nice country and doesn't pick fights with anyone. Wrong. Oh, my God. They might go to war with the Philippines, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) This is a story from uh, uh, globalnews.ca. We will declare war, says Philippines Duarte, as he gives Canada one week to take back its garbage. The president of the Philippines says that if Canada doesn't take back tons of trash within the next week, he will declare war and ship the containers back himself. 
Filipino media outlets are reporting that Rodrigo Duarte made the threats Tuesday about a dozen of shipping containers filled with Canadian household and electronic garbage that's been rotting in a port near Manila for six years. More than 100 of the containers were shipped to Manila by a Canadian company in 2013 and 14, improperly labeled as plastics for recycling. Customs inspectors discovered that they actually contained garbage, including soiled adult diapers and kitchen trash. Hey, it's smart to smoke a bong on YouTube when it's 420 and you're a local Western New York politician. Wrong! This is from WGRZ in Buffalo. This is Olean Alderman Kevin Doherty. The video was posted on his YouTube channel on 420, the unofficial marijuana consumption holiday. Doherty can be seen apparently smoking marijuana. I get, I do this like once a year, if that. <coughs> Doherty makes reference to Dr. Martin Luther King. Guys like Martin Luther King who were trying to make a stand for things that were injustices in his society. I'm not saying that my cause is any greater is is uh, greater than his, but you know it's one of those. Hmm. Is it one of those? Wrong. Hey, this is both funny and good. Wrong. Yeah, I'm gonna talk to voters at the Old Town Hall I'm gonna tell them we don't need no wall I'm gonna rant and rave about billionaires Ain't gonna take a break to comb my hair I got money in the stacks, forget your super packs Bernie bros in back, you would think this is a frat Now, got a chance to see Mayor Pete's ID We both born in 83, but in different centuries Jimmy Fallon is an embarrassment. <laughs> like, come on. It's just, oh, it's just the douche chills. Oh, I can't. All right. Hey, uh, uh, Tom Arnold is a really good friend. Wrong! Uh, he apparently recorded Michael Cohen, handed the tapes over to the Wall Street Journal. President Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, uh, reportedly told Tom Arnold that he's not guilty of some of the charges for which he pled guilty and expressed frustration at the length of his sentence and the lack of cooperation from those in Washington. In recordings of a March phone call Arnold provided to the Wall Street Journal, Cohen decried being a man all alone in Washington while insisting that some of the charges, including one related to his home equity line of credit, were lies. He uh, goes on to say that he pled guilty to keep his wife out of trouble. Eee. Hey, Donald Trump is very happy about his Twitter experience. Wrong! Trump met with Jack Dorsey yesterday, that is Tuesday, the 23rd, and apparently complained that he had been losing too many followers. Jack Dorsey let him know that this happens periodically, specifically with very large accounts, to clean out bots and spam. That was not enough for Trump. Hmm. Well, maybe you should take a load off. Head on down to Iowa. Yeah, that's where we're going. Oh, yeah. Let's go ahead. Crack those big bills. Get some singles. It's on. Uh, who is 
this outside the club, though. You need 5% to enter. Booker, Klobuchar, Delaney, Castro, Gillibrand, and Yang, I'm sorry. I don't see how you can hate from outside of the club. You can't even get in. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is a first in the nation caucus Gravis poll. It's the PX3. This poll was taken from the 17th to the 18th of April. Stepping up first to the stage. He used to be the favorite. He used to be the hot shot. Now he's curtain jerking. He is your representative from Texas, formerly. Ladies and gentlemen, Beto Tied with 6% of the vote, we have two ladies from the Senate, first from Massachusetts. She is Elizabeth Warren. And from the golden state of California, Kamala. At the surge at our third place participant. Folks, he might be the booty judge, but he's making these donkeys dance. Ladies and gentlemen, 14% of the vote. It is Mayor Pete Booty Judge. But tied for first. From Vermont, he is Senator Bernie Sanders. And his co-headliner, also with 19% of the vote, it is Joe That again, O'Rourke 5, Warren 6, Harris 6, Buddha Judge 14, Sanders 19, Biden 19. Great poll for Bernie. Great poll for Buddha Judge. To see him outpacing Harris and Beto and Warren, not to mention the, the, the Bookers and the Klobuchars, that is huge. 
All right, time to get into, but your emails. You can go ahead and email the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Jordan writes, Rush Limbaugh, have you actually looked at this motherfucker? I've listened to Rush on occasion via, no shit, my 70-year-old co-worker's iHeartRadio stream on his iPhone. Rush has plenty of good points from time to time. However... Way, way back in the day, my right-wing extremist mom used to listen to him all the time on WLSAM, the local AM station that was 120 miles away in Chicago. Anyway, long-time listener, first-time actual paying attention viewer. Have you seen Rush? I was just watching Fox News where he was a guest, and he looks like a fucking televangelist. Yes, his microphone is gold, but the gold is so dark because it's developed a patina from him doing a bajillion fucking shows. His suit's perfect, his hair's perfect, his tan's perfect, his false teeth are perfect, quote-unquote. Even his neon sign in the background can be turned on all the time without interfering with the rest of his set lighting. So he doesn't have to ask his viewers for lighting tips. Can you believe it? All right. His computer chair has some shitty-looking suede cover from the EIB Network logo embroidered on it, and there's a fucking HP laser printer squarely positioned in the background. What the fuck? The icing on the cake is him calling Joe Biden a dinosaur. He looks like Leo Laporte's dad with unlimited money. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but Rush looks like a tool at first sight. Why the fuck would anyone parade that Lenin-looking wax figure around? He's borderline, looks like a legit puppet. Well, thank you, Jordan. I would say that that is very rude. I, I, I work very, very hard on my appearance, although when I was golfing with Donald Trump, that was... Uh, over the weekend on Friday, there was a picture of me next to the President of the United States, wherein it was revealed that I have very wide hips. Yes, indeed, we can now confirm that El Rushbo has a donk. Mike, who's re-listening to old episodes, says, Most of your takes from old PX3s are holding up well, grading from the 2016 curve at least, but one stuck out to me. I said, quote, There's a million different ways that you can securely do online voting. I'm curious if you still think that's true. Uh, yeah, I think that there are plenty of ways that you can do online voting. The question is how you make that work with the system that we have now, which is very decentralized. Craig writes, I don't know if it's too late for this, but I have an Iowa caucus story. Although I don't know if it would classify as a horror story, it was the year that you went to Des Moines for the primaries. I had attended the Democratic Party caucus in my district of council bluffs uh, that is just east of Omaha. We all went into a local elementary school library and then the facilitator told us to split up into different cells based on whom we were supporting. As you described, it was basically a Bernie versus Hillary. Bernie supporters, young, idealistic, full of energy millennials, of which I was a part, uh, had good, cogent arguments about why Bernie should be our pick. Hillary supporters were old codgers, angry, unimaginative, and the only argument they had was she had experience. Of course, especially because the facilitator was a Hillary supporter, Hillary was our district's pick. I was really disgusted and it put me off the whole caucus idea. Fortunately, I wasn't a naive Iowan, so I couldn't give a shit about the candidates kissing babies and eating fried butter or going to the Iowa State Fair. I want to know who is going to do the best job, but no, it was basically just a popularity contest and strong and good arguments for a candidate 
did nothing against popularity. Well, the one thing that you could say to that, Ben, is that uh, it is pretty much like real democracy, <laughs> if that's the case. Ben writes, you said that Bill Weld has no chance to win in the primary against Trump. There's a lot of anti-Trump sentiment in the country, and a few friends of mine have pointed out that they want to register as a Republican for the primary so that they could vote against him. If enough people did this, wouldn't it be possible for the Democrats to win by voting Trump out uh, as the main election in the primary uh, for a primary Republican candidate other than Trump? Or is there some other aspect that I'm missing? Uh, yeah. It, it, you could also, you know, find aliens to kidnap him. Like, it's not going to happen. Yes, theoretically it could. But also, Donald Trump could step up to give his uh, a speech at the Republican National Convention and then be eaten by a shark like Samuel L. Jackson in Deep Blue Sea. That is also a possibility. And finally, J.D. writes, I feel uh, like I lean far, 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 far left of you, but you've helped me understand the other side. In general, we all want the same basic thing, functioning society, opportunities for all, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Libertarians seem to be just more hopeful than I am. Thanks for being so damn transparently upbeat and optimistic. Aw, you're going to make me blush. All right, that about wraps it up for us today. You can always email us, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Trop Killers. You can follow me at Justin R. Young everywhere, and you can support this show at takepoliticsseriously.com. If you're at the $3 level, you get two extra podcasts, little mini-sodes on Monday and Friday every single week. Of course, you can download archived episodes of this show at bonerwars.com. Folks, that about wraps it up for us today. Until next time, this is your old boy, Justin Robert Young, reminding you that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics. But this one, this one right here, this one talks about all effing three. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>